Travion McCray only played six minutes, and that's a guy that I really think can be a glue um, player for the team. And, you know, you have Tyler Harris, who is not really doing much offensively, and Cameron Gibson is certainly not back to where he was previously. Corey Hightower kind of comes and goes. The only one that's consistent for him seems to be Xavier Cork. And he had a number of mismatches against ETSU down in the post, and the Catamounts, for whatever reason, just don't want to take advantage of it. I think Mark Prosser and those on the court as well, maybe it's a little bit of a push and pull for the players that are out there together. I think Mark Prosser is also struggling with, wow, I do have a lot of guys I can go to. When is this team at its best? Is it with the ball in Xavier Cork's hands? Is it with the ball in the most talented player on the team, Mason Faulkner's hands? I think Faulkner had five rebounds in the first like eight or nine minutes. He was starting to put together the type of game you and me talked about. That 13 point, 14 point, uh, seven rebounds, six assists, efficient from the field type game, and totally disappeared. I mean, it was incredible. Uh, nine points, five rebounds, four assists, four of 13 from the field, 0 of 4 from three. Uh, ETSU's defense deserves a ton of credit because that certainly is what kept them in the game while they struggled offensively early on. It got them through the first half where Ladarius Brewer was not out there a lot, and then the offense did start to show up. Obviously, late in the second half, but also at the end of the first half. And it's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. And that's what ETSU proved on the offensive end on Wednesday afternoon. I thought, again, <clears throat> you brought up a second ago, I, just it's, I think it all comes down to Faulkner. I think he – I don't know what it is. Something isn't right compared to what it was last year. Now, he's getting the same number of minutes. The numbers are – Similar, I mean, slightly down, but nothing to where you're like, oh, my goodness, he's, he's having a just an awful, terrible year. But for some reason, I just I, I said it before we played on the podcast, I'm going to say it again, I just feel like something is off that he just doesn't look the same. He had no rebounds in the second half. He had no rebounds for virtually about 30 you're minutes. So missed, right? you're at about 30 minutes worth. He had one assist and three total points. For the rest of the game, you know, and you look at that, and he started, you know, with six, five, and three, or whatever it was, stat line, and five, six minutes in the game, you're going, holy cow, you know, here's a triple double machine you're getting used to, and I think whenever he, you know, for whatever's going on, when it, whenever it's figured out on his end, I think they can still win six or seven games. As crazy as that may sound to some people, well, we looked at their schedule, seen it. yeah, and it's not a gauntlet the rest of the way. I mean, there's a lot of winnable games out there, but you can also say for most teams in the Southern Conference right now, there's a lot of winnable games out there because there is so much parity. It depends on what lens you're looking through, right? You and me tend to look through the lens, I think, with Western, that they can't be this bad. They can't be a 2-16, Southern Conference team. They've got too much offense. But we've also made the point that the teams that play defense, and granted, they held ETSU to 59 points, right? But I think a lot of that was on ETSU's volition, right? You mentioned a lot of in-close shots missed getting some good looks, and then not having your best scorer out there for a good 15 minutes of the first half. I think it was a tale of two different narratives, where Western was shut down by ETSU. Western just couldn't match ETSU's defensive intensity because they are not a team that plays defense well. I would, yes, I I would agree with that. I, I just, I can't figure out what, they're missing something. And it's a small something. I don't think it's a large something. And I hate, all I can see is it looks to me like Faulkner's not right. I I don't know if that's totally fair. I'm not around Western's program a lot. If this was ETSU's program where we're around more, we know more. 
probably could say more definitively that it's that. But certainly they can score. I don't think anybody thought they would be a defensive juggernaut. There are times even in the game in Freedom Hall earlier this year when they were shooting the ball well that they looked a little disinterested even trying to guard anybody. You know, not quite to the level that Citadel and maybe even sometimes VMI does, but there's clearly some disconnect there on the defensive end. But offensively, I mean, Corey Hightower is a double-double machine. Cork could be a double-double machine. Halverson's still shooting nearly 50% from three and is one of the top three shooters in the league if he's not still leading the league. Tyler Harris is a guy that for some reason didn't find his groove in the two games against ETSU, but you look at his numbers. He's a guy that can score. Faulkner should be a double-double machine. Once Cameron Gibson gets going, I also agree Travion McCray should get more action because I feel like he is the one guy at some point in time wants to play defense for him. So, you know, and I know they're missing McMahon. Uh, Sincere McMahon, who's a freshman, got some good quality minutes at Freedom Hall. He was unavailable for the game against ETSU. I mean, Amir Langley's not, um, you know, I think he's serviceable if you're only playing him 10 minutes a game. I really think the roster actually is pretty good. I do, too. There's not a lot to complain about. It's just, for whatever reason, it's just not translated after the non-conference. It's the loss, and I I don't know, and I I, I can't imagine the loss to start the conference year in Freedom Hall when this was, quote-unquote, their year. Right. And if they lost that, did it immediately go to, here we go again? And then it just went. But even in that game, when they were up, it looked like a couple of guys just didn't look interested. And without naming names, because we're kind of grasping here and talking about Faulkner and saying, yeah, we're on the outside looking at a Western Carolina program, which we are. But without naming names, there are others around the conference that have noticed this with Mason Faulkner. We are not the only ones. People that you have talked to, uh, conversations that I have heard as well, like Mason Faulkner, clearly something is going on. And I think we can use this to transition to Furman. ETSU kind of did to Western Carolina what Furman did to ETSU down in Greenville. 17-6 run, laid on, made the game look a bit more out of hand than it actually was in Greenville for Furman last Saturday. And then on Wednesday, ETSU against Western Carolina, 14-3 run, 10. The game was tied at 45, and then the Bucks get 14 of the last 17. And I think this game tomorrow is just massive. Um, I still am not a believer in Wofford. I may be proven wrong about that eventually, but I really have a hard time seeing them winning more than 12 games in the league, 12, maybe 13. And if you know my belief on the Southern Conference, that could be enough to get you a share of the Southern Conference championship in the regular season. I tend to think they're more of a 10 or 11 win team. I think they've overperformed a decent amount so far. That being said, their schedule is not necessarily – the most difficult one you're going to find in the Southern Conference over the next few weeks. So you could look up, and they could be 10-2. And, and all of a sudden, you know, I have to eat my words, eat some crow, and just come to terms with the fact that Wofford is going to be a team that is going to be a top two or three seed. Uh, anyway, point being, on this game tomorrow, I think this is a matchup right now, uh, and throw UNCG in there for me as well, of two of the teams that will be contending for the Southern Conference regular season championship. And it, it's interesting the ways they're, they're doing it. You know, Noah Gurley scoreless for the first time in 75 collegiate games against the Bucs last Saturday. Of course, Mike Bothwell goes off for 32. Clay Mounts is coming off a game against VMI. You could say that maybe it's his worst as a collegiate. 1 of 13 and 0 of 7 from 3 against the Keenan. So there have been some struggles and those are sometimes difficult for Furman to overcome as you saw at VMI with that 74-73 to loss. And say what you will about the end of the game. I know 
government thinks that there are maybe a couple of things that didn't go their way late on with calls and things of that like, but they have five guys, and you've hammered the point to death. They have five guys that they are going to rely on. If one of those guys has a Clay Mounts-esque type game, one of 13, or a Noah Gurley type game, where they not only underperform, but epically so, things that we haven't seen in years from them, then it's going to be difficult for Furman to overcome. Also have to say, though, that if they get even, you know, below average of, uh, below average performances from everybody, right, then you've still got five guys that are going out there and putting up, you know, 10, 12 points. And so that's quickly 50 or 60, and then if you're going to defend it all, uh, then you get to, you know, 70, 75 with some of your guys off the bench. And ETSU's shown that they can win the high-scoring game and the low-scoring game, um, which is something that Furman has not done. So it's going to be interesting to see, I think, how this game unfolds in terms of the pace, in terms of what number that you're going to have to get to, and if all five guys for sure, Furman can show up, because over the last couple of games that has not been the case. They, they've not had all five on the same page at the same time. And uh, Clay Mounts, who I've, I've said over and over again, is from Elkin, North Carolina, played at Mount Airy High School. I don't know if you know that. Actually, a kid, Brad Stone, who is a Furman um, fan and tunes in the podcast. And, Brad, I appreciate it. for remi- I, I got him and Andrew Brown's hometown but still, when it's literally on a piece of paper in front of my face, if you look right here, I actually have the Mount Airy on my paper and refuse to look at it. So I, I think the five guys for Furman are as good, uh, if I would, if not better. VMI, solid five. I would give Furman, if you're just going, matching up to five, I think most nights Furman wins that just five on five. I think Furman versus UNCG, just straight five on five, I think, versus ETG. For Walt, I, I just, you know. You, ETSU, UNCG, Wofford generally play more players. It's just always been that it's just a style of game that goes. That being said, Furman has to figure out what they want to do defensively. And, and don't take my word for it. I listened to Bob Ritchie's postgame after VMI, and it was the thing he harped on. He goes, you know, we took 73 shots. You ought to win a game. We shot 39 threes, which doesn't bother him, but that's the style they play. They hit 12 of them. Well, that's still – over 30% from three. They won, his quote, a lot of games shooting more than 30% from three. And if you go back and look, he's probably right. They have won a lot of games. What they haven't been able to do is get stops, and they've been playing with fire and not being able to do stuff on the defensive end. They won't commit to a defensive identity. They, I think he said they had 11 deflections in the first maybe 10 minutes of the game. The last 30 minutes of the game, they had 11 deflections. And he's like, you know, we need 40 to 50 deflections. We need to get, you know, this is where we are to be a winning team. And so, you know, listening to Coach Ritchie, he, he isn't, he, he's aware. I mean, and very much blunt about what happened. You know, and there were, there were a couple whistles. I mean, the goaltending, I've rewound it like seven times. I can't, I can't tell. I mean, I'll just be honest. It was one of those where they went to the replay. They couldn't tell either. So whatever the call was, was. I do think Furman got a bad whistle. I think there probably should have been a travel, um, you know, on Trey Bonham. They're late. Now, that being said, Stevens missed some free throws he doesn't miss because he's 86% free throw shooter. Right. I mean, it was, an, it was a very interesting game. The one thing for Furman they got was a monster game from um, Jalen Slauson, who hasn't shown he can have those type of games, but he went for 18 and 14. He made four threes in the first 13 games and then made four against Yeah, You know, sometimes <laughs> you need guys to step up. Much. Because I, I agree, Clay Mounts is not going 
to go 0 for 7 and 1 for 13 again, probably the rest of his this being his senior year, maybe he comes back next year. I still don't think this year or next year he has that type of performance. Okay, I think getting Jalen Pugh back is huge, and and nothing against the, the Tennessee kid Joe Anderson. I think Pugh is just a more seasoned guy, seen more action, can give you more. And again, Joe Anderson did did go in, he did knock down a three, but. Pugh was able to get eight points in nine minutes. That That's what they need. That's what Furman needed, some production off the bench. Alex Hunter had a rough game. He hit the first shot of the game. And I, don't, I think he missed seven in a row before he hit a three top of the key to tie it. And he got fouled on a, on a three-point attempt. Six big points. Right? Yeah, and then he hit those three free throws. So, I think Furman, you know, if you're a Buck fan, did you really want him to lose to VMI or do you want him kind of – Coming in there, you know, it's one and of those situations. Yeah, you did not. You wanted them to win, come in hot. I, I think this is interesting because it's so close. You just played them Saturday. You know, if you look at it from Furman's standpoint last Saturday, the defense suffocated, shut the Bucks down the last eight minutes, which you can't really argue. From a Buck side of it, it's like, well, yeah, because they retired, they didn't have Ladarius Brewer. Clearly, we've seen his numbers the last two games, but he's able to. So it would be interesting to see. Furman has always been, like most teams, way better at home than on the road. I think the two best road teams in the league probably in the last eight or ten years has been UNCG and Wofford. I would say the best home teams have been ETSU and Furman. You know, and you, you could probably go back and I bet ETSU and Furman are within a game of one another, my guess, of home wins and leading the league in home wins. You know, it doesn't mean Furman ETSU doesn't win on road. Certainly it doesn't mean Wofford and UNCG doesn't win at home. But I bet if you go back and look at most road wins, most home wins, my guess is ETSU and Furman are on the home. So that being said, I think ETSU has a slight advantage um, playing back at home. Plus there is a little bit of Ladarius didn't play, Revenge Factor Souther. For Furman, they certainly can think, well, what we did in the last eight minutes all we have to do is duplicate that and go back door cut, lay up, lay up, hit a couple threes. There's so many different ways to look at this game. I think you may be underselling ETSU's advantage at home. They've won six of the last seven in Johnson City against Furman. Of course, Furman's won five of the last six in Greenville. So it just seems like wherever you play, the team that's in their home building is going to win. Ladarius being back, obviously huge. And he's coming off what for him is, I think, you count as an off game just because he wasn't out there that much. Efficiency, you know, wasn't where I think he'd expect for it to be and what the coaching staff would hope for it to be. So is he going to come out just seeing red? And is he going to have one of those big starts that he has had at home time and again this year where you look up and there's four minutes gone in the game and he's already got 12 points, right? Before the first media timeout, he's already in the double figures. You know Gurley isn't going to go scoreless again because, as we said, since the first game of his collegiate career against Bob Jones, the very first game, he had not gone scoreless, so 75 games have passed, and then scoreless against CTSU. But Mike Bothwell probably isn't going to go for 32 again. Now, Bothwell is doing, I think, as good of a job as you possibly can to step into the shoes that were vacated by him. Spaced on his name now. How like that? Uh, Jordan Lyons. Thank you, Jordan Lyons. Uh, you, know, you had Rafferty gone two years ago, then Jordan Lyons gone after this past year. Uh, and and before that, they had Sibley, they had Kroon. They always have player of the year type candidates. No it's doubt. unbelievable. No doubt. And they don't lose a lot year to year. And they're not going to lose a lot after this year. They're only going to lose um, two guys. It's going to be Mounts and Hunter. And last year was Trey Clark and Jordan Lyons. And they continuously reload. And Bob Ritchie is a very good coach as well. I mean, they continuously set new records for their program because the team is built for success. But Gurley's not going to go scoreless again. Bothwell, who's 
done phenomenally this year and had his career high against CTSU, and he's not going to go for another career high against the Bucks. But then will Clay Mounts be out for blood after that performance Wednesday? I don't know which way to look at this game. And you tend to think that it's going to be tight between the two teams um, because they do seem so evenly matched. I think one of the keys for ETSU is, and this is the case against a team that no matter who it is, you've got five guys that you're going to play 30-some minutes. There's not a lot off the bench. They're top-heavy. You've got to attack. You've got to be on the front foot, and you need that start. And if you can get one of those five or two of those five in foul trouble, and then they have to patchwork things along until what ETSU did with Larry's Brewer, they can get their top guy back on the court or one of their top five guys back on the court. That is going to go a long way towards success on Saturday. I'll also be interested to see, as I said again, how this pacing is going to be because Furman has not scored less than 70 all year, and they are an explosive offense. They can definitely do a lot of things on offense that I think other teams in this league and in mid-major basketball cannot do on their own. I think they do a great job, not just they're great shooters, and they they do a great job of running that hybrid Princeton offense and getting those backdoor cuts for layups, but they do a tremendous job on the offensive glass. They lead the league in second-chance points. The last couple games, we've seen ETSU make a conscious effort to try to figure out how to rebound. The question is, will they be able to keep Furman off the glass? Because I think Furman's going to take a lot of long shots, right? You know, they're not going to shoot. Well, I, I say that. They could shoot 50% or better, but more likely they're not. They're going to miss at least half their shots, if not more, from beyond the arc. How are those going to pan out? Is it because the offensive rebound numbers weren't that egregious, Furman in favor of ETSU, but Furman had 10 extra points on second-chance points. Furman, it's one of the things that helped them against VMI, and the reason why you get 73 shots is you get 18 offensive rebounds, so you get 18 extra possessions. So I think that's something sneaky that maybe could go under the radar. You know, when you watch it, you think about second-chance points, but generally when you start think, thinking about a game, it's not one of the few things you go to. Defense, you know, who's going to shoot the ball, who's going to be the scorers, what, you know, injuries, depth, whatever. But I think second-chance points is going to be key in this contest for ETSU to limit Furman's second-chance points. I think we're headed for a high-level basketball game, mid-70s. And you remember a couple of years ago when Wofford, I think, went to overtime, like 78-76, where Wofford ended up winning at Freedom Hall, one of the very few losses, I think, in the last five-plus years now. ETSU has 13 home losses. I think they're averaging, like, two-and-a-half losses per season at home. It's pretty incredible. 74-13, and 13, I think, was the record with Jason Shannon's Correct. staff. Um, Furman has only gotten blown out once this year. But you look up, and that team is Winthrop, who is undefeated. 15-0, 12-0 in the league, and I didn't realize that they were still undefeated until I took a look last night after Goodman tweeted out something about how he's got his Winthrop beer because he's supporting undefeated Eagles, and I looked at it and said, 12-0 in the league, 15-0 overall, they lost by 16. They've only shot below 50% four times this year, that being Furman. Cincinnati, VMI, Winthrop, Alabama. They're four losses. Alabama, another team the last time I checked, I didn't see what happened. They're on fire. But they were 6-0 going into the midweek the SEC, the only undefeated team in a Power 5 conference. Cincinnati was a five-point loss, and VMI obviously the one-point loss. Uh, I mean, those aren't bad losses. You know, VMI on the road, you can say, oh, maybe VMI is a much improved team. We were having a conversation in the office yesterday, and there were people legitimately throwing out, could they be a four or five seed? And finally skip past that Friday game, right? I think that's a little bit lofty still, because I think they're like 9-71 on the road under Dan Earl, and six or five-plus seasons now. But 
those losses don't bother me. Nine combined points against Cincinnati, Alabama, and BMI, and then, yeah, 16 against Winthrop, a, a team that is, speaking of on fire, absolutely insane. 0-4 in games that they shoot under 50%, 10-0 when they shoot above 50%. And it's crazy to think that they've only not shot above 50% four times. ETSU is going to have to have their best offensively, and with Ladarius Brewer out there, and considering that the only difference in the game was a 17-6 run at the end of the game one week ago, and now you have your closer on the floor, I think this game is going to go the way of ETSU, if I were to guess, in a really top-level committee contest. If you're just going off the history, you said 6-7 of seven wins at home ETSU, 5-6 of six Furman. And I almost want to say the year that ETSU won at Furman was the year Furman won at ETSU. So they've split about every year since the Bucks have rejoined the league. So I, I'm almost positive. But either way. I think it's going to be, as you said, a high-level mid-major basketball game. I think there'll be some free throw shot in this game because it's Saturday in the SoCon, baby, and uh, we'll see exactly who who is uh, on the whistle at that point. You're right on the Furman 79-76 final game of the year. Remember, that was the year ETSU had won 16 in a row, and then at the end of the year lost four of the last oh, five yeah. and couldn't close the regular season championship. Final game of the year, 79-76 Furman. So they home. split the last, like, seven years. So yeah. if you just go off tradition <laughs> – Probably going to split here. And, and if so, then, you know, it, it's hard for a Buck fan to claim uh, dominance over Furman. It would be hard, I think, for Furman to claim dominance over, you know, each will have their good talking points. But if you hold serve at home, that's what you're supposed to do. You know, I, I tend to think with Brewer back and it happening so quickly from the last game, I could see ETSU's motivation. Clearly, Furman's motivation is we've not been doing what coaches have been asking us on the defensive end. We've been winning kind of whatever coach, now all of a sudden, he's got a lot of talking points of, see? And that's what I hate as an ETSU backer, fan, employee, whatever you want to say. That did give the Paladins motivation, that loss to be about. You said earlier that I I wanted Furman to win that game because they're flying high, overconfident, coming into a We can't be touched, right? I think the only teams that we've lost to are a couple of undefeated league teams and then a group of five, you know, uh, I think Cincinnati's AAC, right? Are they still there? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, still. Still pretty solid basketball conference. Like, we, we can't be touched. We're going to run through the Southern Conference, and then ETSU smacks them in the face. We sound a little bit overconfident right now, I think, in ETSU going into their home building and winning. But it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a walkover. Furman's going to be out to prove a point that they are the better team because, like you said, there has been, even in this series, what is it, 32-30 to 30 over the 62 matchups? There's very little that has separated the teams. And what's the one thing – that Bob Ritchie has not accomplished in Furman. Southern Conference Championship. Southern Conference Championship, regular or postseason and NCAA tournament appearance, and this is the type of game you need to win to get. It's by far the best game in the Southern Conference Saturday. UNCG's at Chattanooga, VMI's at Mercer, Sanford hosts Citadel, Wofford and Western. I mean, it's the, the game in the league that everyone will sort of have their, especially if you are UNCG and Wofford, you're clearly going to have uh, your eyes on that game to see what is going to happen there. And I just can't – I really want to affirm to beat Cincinnati because I hate John Brandon so bad from his days at Marshall if you're a good Southern Conference fan. So, all right, that being said, heck of a ball game we're expecting, um, as it always is with DTSU and Furman in Freedom Hall. Four o'clock tip, 3.30 pregame. Women's basketball, two games, and it will be against UNCG tonight and Sunday, Friday and Sunday. We'll have those for you. On ESPN Plus Radio just on Sunday, we'll preview that contest 
This time out to hear a word from Sam Sakic on the Buccaneers. Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sanderson, a sidekick, back with you. Talking ETSU women's basketball. Head coach Brittany Zell will host the two-game series. And, uh, of course, I was so right on the first go-around of this where I said, you know, everyone would just struggle to score on the second day. And that was obliterated by like a 1,000 points. So UNCG clearly has had their struggles. ETSU looking the right to ship. And, as a matter of fact, four straight games were ETSU. Uh, more than likely will be favored, I would assume, at home against UNCG and Western Carolina. Let's talk about UNCG. And the fall from grace has been quick and plentiful Drastic. and shocking for UNCG. I think shock is the right word. Uh, they haven't scored more than 50 in eight of their 12 games. Of course, they lost all-time leading scorer to Dean Solomon, who was an amazing talent in the Southern Conference. Uh, it was always a pleasure just to watch. Her and Chloe Wanick, I always enjoyed watching. Now, unfortunately, they've also tended to – ETSU up as they did for pretty much every team that they came across, so that was no good. But when there's a special player in your league and you get to see him once or twice a year, it is a treat, you know, because you enjoy as a sports fan just good basketball, greatness on the court, and at this level, Nadine Solomon was greatness. Uh, also got second teamer and second leading scorer last year for the team. Tasia Twitty also gone, and that I'm happy about because, again, that's the type of player 5'10 athletic, 5'10 to 6 feet athletic crash the boards, can do a lot on the interior, tended to uh, really beat ETSU up. So she's gone, a uh, player that just gave the Bucks fits. Alexis Willie, fourth leading scorer on the team last year. Alexis Pitchford, the point guard and team leader in assists. And then they did finally announce just two days ago out of UNCG, Audra Boyd is out for the year. I talked to Trina Patterson yesterday, and she would just term it as a lower body injury. Didn't want to get into you know all the sure. privacy stuff, but lower body injury. Whenever I hear somebody out for an entire season and I hear lower body injury, I immediately go to the knee, right, ACL. Um, MCL, you can come back a little bit quicker. Uh, you know, so if it's partially torn or even a complete tear on an MCL, uh, may not be an entire season. But w- when I hear the whole year and just heard the tone of Trina Patterson's voice, it, she was confident that Aja would be back next year, would be better than ever, would be ready to contribute, and UNCG would be back in the right track. But the tone of her voice said, yeah, this is pretty serious injury and sounded like uh, you know about as serious as it gets with an ACL and it makes me think it's not an Achilles right because an Achilles you sometimes miss part of that next season as well it didn't sound like it would be the case for Aja Boyd um, so all of a sudden you look at those top five basically your top five from last year gone it's almost 75 percent of the rebounding almost 80 percent of their scoring and almost three quarters of their minutes so that's going to be tough for anybody to overcome especially when you look at what those players did in those minutes and what they meant to the program. I mean, this UNCG team has not been top of the league for very long, right? I mean, that was a breakthrough for them last year under Trina Patterson. Remember, it was Chattanooga forever, and it was Mercer. And then last year, it was kind of a cacophony of a bunch of different things up at the top. It was 
Chattanooga with UNCG. It was Sam from Against the Coffin in Louisiana. <laughs> and so this year, it has been uh, horrific for Trina Patterson. And she is someone that's had success so many different places. Um, I probably would think that one of the very few play, uh, coaches to ever win a conference coach of the year award in three different leagues. Um, that's what she's done over her career, also an assistant at Stanford and uh, Old Dominion. So it's been very difficult. They are really lacking offensive punch. The defense is still there, and that's what you have to appreciate as Coach Patterson and UNCG because when do you see teams give up? When they start lacking defensively, when they start getting crushed on the glass. That's not the case for this team. It is just offense. They have not been a good school. Yeah, the, the effort stuff, yeah. right? You can always give effort rebounding. I always give effort defensively. Can't always effort the ball in the hoop. That's, uh, I believe, a few coaches have said that in their day. So I, I think it's also a tough turn because you had sort of climbed the mountain, gotten up there, and then you have things not go your way because that's not the only injuries, right? They've missed a few players at Jordan Relaford, right? Jalen Hastings. There's another one. So there's three besides of some of the big ones, and so depth has been an issue as well. They've missing three players that are on the roster that were expected to play. I mean, a couple had played in games this year, a couple had started games this year, and now they're they're not out there. So, you know, it's it's very similar. Um, the teams the last several years, if you look at it, if I'm not mistaken, two years ago ETSU won all three matchups, swept the series, and then beat them in the conference tournament en route to losing in the championship game to Mercer that year. Then last year, it was the exact opposite. UNCG swept the series, won all three matchups, although they played in the first round instead of the second round. And so the last six games, you're looking at, you know, a three and three. ETSU overall, I believe, holds a, a two-game lead in the all-time series. But since they've been back in the league, I think it's it's almost dead even. So they went two and one against UNCG that year. They went to the SOCON tournament. But then 2018-19, that's the one year that you skimmed over, two and oh, won both against. Okay. Yeah, UNCG, and then last year, the only team in ETSU's history to hold the box under 53 times in a season. Of course, you don't play a lot of teams three times in a season, but it was 45, 47, 47. So, and, and I think if I looked at the last 12, they were 6-6. Six and six. I think I went that far back. So, I mean, it's been a tight Similar to Wofford, right, over the last eight Correct. Four. And similarities there. This year, the similarities, one non-D1 win, one Division One win, right? I mean, so... They're both looking to get things going. ETSU's second game versus Wofford, some of the offense started to come around. Some of the ladies we thought that could shoot the basketball, right, four players in double figures. I think there's only one other time there have been three players in double figures. The rest have been two or, or maybe even one game one. But still, ETSU started to figure some things out. Can they carry that momentum inside Brooks Gym where the fans are allowed in? You should, they will have couple hundred to 248, I think, is the, the max number that will be there. But 248 fans will be there. Can they get things going and rolling from the Wofford game into Friday? Can at least Stafford continue to build off that? That being said, they get that win. Is that enough for them to turn around Sunday? You finally feel good. I think whoever gets the win Friday has a, a, has a huge advantage going into Sunday. But, two, whoever doesn't get the win – is going to be sort of that wounded animal in a corner, and it'll be interesting to see how the Sunday game goes. It's an odd double-edged sword, right? Because you can see it going one of two ways. Uh, is ETSU just going to be down and out if they lose? Is ETSU going to be down and out if they lose? You know, I think it's easier for the away team to, you know, 15, 20-point loss on night one, and then you just have to sit and think about 
but ETSU had to do that against Wofford, and then they came back and took Terriers double overtime. By all means, could have won that game. UNCG, though, I think is in a different situation because so many of their players have not played previous to this year. You know, I mean, Lillian Azundu and, um, you know, CeCe Crudup and Tori Powell were players that were, you know, in that bench role. I think they're maybe a bit more comfortable stepping into their roles than they have now. But um, you look up and down the roster, and there's just not a lot. Like we said, nearly 80% of their minutes from last year are gone. So they're unfamiliar and uncomfortable situations. And, and does reality start to set in if you lose that first game, not only this weekend, but weekends ahead for UNCG where girls look in the mirror and they're just saying, ugh, I'm not ready for this. And I just need more time. And, and time is not a luxury UNCG has, and that's what Coach Patterson told me. She just, this takes time. You cannot have this happen overnight with all the injuries that they've gotten and all the players that they lost. There's just not been enough time for the Spartans to be able to adjust. Again, the defense is there. Keeps them in games, really. They've lost four by single digits and three more between 10 and 15. The problem is when you struggle mightily on the offensive end, those deficits seem like 20 or 30. They're fourth from bottom in the nation in field goal percentage. Only one player shooting above 40% from the field, and that's Khalees Kane, who ETSU does have to watch out for. Six foot three freshman. And Ja'Kaya Davis, you know, six foot three freshman as well, not getting as many minutes for the Bucks. Khalees Kane is getting more and more and more minutes as the year has gone along. Those two kind of flipped in terms of the roles that they're playing for their teams, and Kane's shooting 49%, and she's been everything for that team lately. Uh, three straight games with double-digit rebounds, and she's, I think, didn't score the first four games of her career, and then all of a sudden just came on strong right when UNCG has needed her. It just hasn't been enough. You know, CeCe Crudup and Tori Powell have not carried enough of that load because they are the clear-cut top two options. From what I understand, Pernilla Sorensen has a chance, not a guaranteed thing, but a chance to come back after a minor, minor ankle procedure about six weeks ago, uh, has a chance to return after missing the last six games. That would be huge for UNCG, right? They're down some bodies. Aja Boyd out for the year. That's demoralizing. But if you can get anybody back at all, because right now they have ten healthy players, then at least that's not familiar, by the way. It, it absolutely Eerily does. It absolutely does. At least it helps your depth, and ETSU will have no sympathy for UNCG because they've had to deal with that. Nobody gave them sympathy last year. Exactly. For the last two or three seasons, ETSU has had to deal with that. So, um, first game huge. These next four games, I don't want to put too much pressure out there, because um, I know all the young women are very loyal and faithful listeners to the sidekick. I don't want to put too much pressure, but I think these are all must-win games, be- because there are some other teams out there that are going to be fighting for the league championship that are still ahead for ETSU. You look after UNCG and Western, it's at Furman. And Furman, typically a very difficult opponent for ETSU, and a team that I think is I think, right, I, I think ETSU can get a split there. Sure. They get Mercer last Mercer year. They were successful last year against Mercer. Got a shot. Sanford has all of a sudden turned it on. They won again last and night at Chattanooga, who we were in love with for a minute. And you and me both think that you know Mercer's a team that could contend for a league title. Sanford, again, right. as you talk about. you get about, Chatt- I mean, I mean, Chattanooga. I mean, if you win those four, so I mean, you can get this. Start your roll. But if you don't. That's right. So I, I think the X's and O's, real quick, I think – the second and fourth quarter has been the Bucks' best quarters. The second and fourth quarter have not been the best quarter. They've been the two worst quarters for UNCG. I think each team struggles in the first and the third, that's fair to say. But when you look at the disparity where UNCG is, is in the second and fourth quarter are almost minus 85 in just those two quarters. And that's where ETSU, if you look at it, 
they're minus, but it's it's a couple points here and there. It's really not to that. So I think the second and fourth quarter, normally I'm the beat the drum on the first and third quarter, but both teams are around the same as far as the minus category goes um, in those scenarios. So I think if ETSU in the second and fourth quarter starts to get going where UNCG maybe has some struggles the more that they get going, that that could be an area. And then obviously rebounding is another one where UNCG has clearly struggled at. I think they're minus eight on the glass uh, this year per game to their opponent. And so that's something I think ETSU will be able to get a lot of second-chance opportunities. Yeah, they're top three in the league in rebounding or ETSU. I think this is going to come down to points on turnovers being opportunistic. When your offense struggles, as ETSU has for the majority of this season, as UNCG's has for all of this season, you need to take advantage of those chances that you are given to get easy points. And ETSU had 30 points off turnovers, a season high against Wofford on Saturday, but incredibly, and to me just blew my mind because ETSU forces the 14th most turnovers in the country, minus one on the year in points off turnovers. Though they have outscored their opponents in that category three of the last four after no times in the first six. They're getting the turnovers, but early on in the season, they were not able to capitalize. Now you're seeing over the last four games, you know, conference play plus Newberry, that there's some strides being made there. And there's some positive things that you can take away. And if that progression continues and you can, you know, flip defense to offense, that is always going to help a team that's struggling offensively bust out. And that can help build your confidence. You're starting to look at the box score after the game. Oh, we had 10 points. Oh, I didn't feel like I even did much. I had a couple steals, a couple layups, but those stats, if you look at those stats as, uh, you know, I, as a college kid when I was playing baseball, I always did. They weren't pretty for me. It wasn't much of a confidence booster. But if you are looking at the stats and those stats are positive for you, and a lot of the easy stats that you're going to be able to get are those defense to offense points, you know, that can start to make you believe a little bit more. That can start to be contagious and look around the locker room and say, hey, they can do this. So I think it's going to be points out turnovers because these offenses struggle as vitally as they do. And the Bucks have made progress. Now they have to take another Again, two games set. It starts Friday night tonight, 7 o'clock ESPN Plus. Then Sunday, 2 o'clock tip, 1.30 pregame show. Mike Gallagher on the Buccaneer Sports Network. When we come back, failed downs. Failed very, downs. Very special edition of failed downs. Boo-boo. On the Buccaneer Sports Network. Enjoy the new year with more games, more chances to win, and even more fun from the Tennessee Lottery. And you can play any way you like. Play quick and win big with instant games. Or try drawing-style games that pack a big money punch. So don't drop the ball. Make a resolution to put a little more cash and a whole lot of fun in your pocket today with the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Accidentally finding our favorite segment is one of them. Fail downs. First fail. Second fail. Third fail. Fourth fail. Woo! Because all the fails are one act. Here's a school I'm not sure that you're aware of. They wear orange and white. Oh, boy. And they are big fans of one cent faster than she. I'm Apparently. loving it. I'm loving it. 
Firstly, can we talk about how brilliant the social media team in Florida is? Oh, goodness gracious. We're loving it. That, if they're, I mean, oh, vicious. Oh, so vicious. Oh, just. I'm not sure I could have hit send. You know, I have to send out lots of tweets for a variety of Buccaneer Force Network. Yeah, we could probably be fired so that. That's, that's probably a problem <laughs> for us. I mean, that was no holds barred off the top rope cage match. Fight to the death. All right. Now, we, we clearly uh, have, have some relationships with folks down there. Actually, I got a guy, the CFO is a high school teammate of mine. Well, you better uh, shut from, uh, East Henderson High School. <laughs> Screaming Eagles, baby. Uh, so, that being said. I want to know where my McDonald's bag of cash is. That would be never, fantastic. I've never. I would just like free McDonald's. <laughs> I mean, can I just get, That's a great point. Can I just get a, a fillet of fish or something? Hey, have you ever. So. Hash brown. I should have did this a long time ago in college. I used to do the surf and turf at McDonald's. You ever done that? Oh, God, that sounds horrible. That's where you get the Big Mac and the filet of fish and you take out the weird middle oh. patty of the Big Mac and you insert the whole filet of fish and then you have your surf and turf. Oh, oh so you don't just insert the piece of fish. You insert no, all the of them. <laughs> all of them. The uh, surf and turf. I, I should have trademarked that many years ago. We combined the McChicken and the McDouble and we That's good. kept the bun in there, too. It was good. Um, I mean, you might at that point in time, you, you should do what the McDouble, the McChicken, the filet fish, add bacon. You get your four, oh, your right. four yeah. meat groups in one sandwich. How large would that sandwich be? It'd be great. Probably. What's larger, the sandwich or the stack of cash that these recruits got? Cash is still, <laughs> it still wins. All right. So that being said, this uh, we thought we would be helpful because it's very easy, you know. And, and yes, we, we had some. Jo- I mean, why? If you can't laugh a little bit, and you know, even Tennessee fans are cry, I think, in the wrong way. But let's try to help them. They need a coach, right? They just got an AD, which which uh, when, when we came up with this, they did not have an AD. But Danny White, who does have a national championship under his belt at UCF, if everybody wants oh, to argue that. If nothing else, he can uh, stick it to Alabama, right? Uh, NCAA has recognized it. That's whether, true. Whether it anybody else likes it or not, right. it is a recognized right. national championship right. at this point. So that being said, they got Danny White. He wants to bring in coaches. We thought we would give you the Sandos and Sidekick top five. There's a lot of BS out there. But yeah, let's so give a legitimate sort of list, right? Let's get everyone else. Let's get a legitimate Save list. Hugh Freeze isn't going. All right, ready? You go. Why don't you go one? Well, look. I mean, I hear the cries out there from the volunteer pickers. You see it on Twitter. You hear it in the streets. It is sweeping across the state, if not the region. There's a man that's got to return home. Lane Trey. Lane yeah, I, knew I mean, I saw a tweet that said it all, really. So, yep. and like we said, a lot of BS out there. But this tweet really grabbed me. I can't remember who said it, but it said that after Lane left, and there was a picture of him, very powerful, in a hallway of Tennessee. It was, like, behind some glass doors, too. It almost looked like a hospital setting. Like, his head was down. He was looking at, you know, his feet and kind of just, I think, searching, wondering, wanting the answers to give to volunteer fans after he bolted. USC. I think this was while he was still at Tennessee and uh, was making that move after just one year to go out west for his dream job. And the tweet said, everything's been downhill since Lane left. And it spoke to me. And this is why he's number one on my list, because if everything has been downhill since he left, everything is going to be rainbows, sunshine, unicorns, and flowers when he comes back. Number one, Lane, Night Train Kevin. We did not talk about this beforehand, and you're actually going to be shocked, but my number one was Lane Kiffin. Lane Nitrain Kiffin. I mean, there's one way to go here, isn't there? 
I, I, I think it's 100% the way to go. You want to make a splash? You want to energize your fan base? You want redemption? You want to bring your program to where all the fans think it should be, where it was going when you got Lane? This is the move. Danny White, I'm calling on you right now. Make a play. Who's your number two, and, I'll, and then I'll give you my number three. Well, you thought Jason Witten was bad on Monday Night Football. Wait till you see him coach the Tennessee Volunteers. Elizabeth in zone. Jason Witten, University of Tennessee. I've seen a name floated out there. You may think it's crazy. I, although, if you hear the rest of my list, you won't think that's crazy. Jason Witten. That's so, that, again, we've not discussed this list. My number two was his brother, Sean Witten, oh, wow. okay. because he's actually won state championships at uh-huh. Elizabethan High School, and he could bring his brother on yes. so Jason could be the coach in waiting. So I'm going Sean Witten would be the best choice. Quickly, can you imagine if they hired Jason Witten? Poor guy gets thrown into the fire on every single thing. He hasn't coached, has he? He hasn't been a broadcast. No, no, he hasn't coached. He's been playing. The one year he didn't play, he was a broadcast. Yeah, so, okay. My number three. Yeah. Again, it's a, it's coming home. It's not necessarily the same home, okay. but it's coming home. Yep. It's from the state, from Johnson City. Oh, boy. I think I know where this is going. Steve Spurrier. Oh, yeah. How do you not get Steve back? If nothing else, he went to the best conference. He gets everybody going. How can you not get Steve out of retirement? Oh, the fun and gun is back. Oh, I mean, that's a higher right How can you not do that? Make some noise. Uh, number three for me. This is a man that I think, you know, has the resume to coach anywhere. He started up a football program at our very university and did so admirably. <laughs> His name is Carl Torbush, and he's going down the road to Nashville. Uh. Carl! Carl, I'm paging you, Carl! Giving you a call after the show? Listen to this show? You'll be getting a call later. Carl, down the road in Knoxville. Did he not go to a bowl game with a Power 5 program in the past? He did. Granted, his he must, was filling the, in, but he ended the up mustache the things that you could come up with student sections. Fear the stash, Coach Schubert, uh, Yes, fear the stash. I mean, and okay. I realize Coach Fulmer is out, but do we not think Coach Fulmer would have leaned on Carl Torbush if he made the hire here? I'm just saying. Look at Carl. I mean, Gator Bowl W. Man, what a Gator Bowl! Coached at a Power Five school for four years, and then started up a program. How many programs has Lane Kiffin started? How many programs has Steve Spurrier started up? Yeah, it's fair. Look, Carl Torbush is your guy. Because you're going to have to start with freshmen and no recruiting and everything. You might as well. All right, uh, my fourth one, and I'll let you go five and I'll go five. My fourth one I think is a no-brainer if you followed anything in the fall when football was supposed to start. It didn't happen. There was a man that stepped up to the challenge to win multiple national championships. And Big Cat, Gus Duggerton from Barstool Sports, who had taken the NCAA 14 game, eventually taken over at Tennessee and won them the 2018 National Championship. I think he's clearly his time in Knoxville's love. They put a billboard up and everything. They loved Big Cat, Coach Duggs. I think he needs to actually do it for real. I'm starting to get the feeling that you're not taking this list as seriously as I'm taking well, who's your four? Okay, this would take a sport change. Okay, but a professional athlete right now, okay, much like Jason Witten was, so there's a connection there. Uh, Andrew Hammond is a goalie for the Minnesota Wild. His nickname, the Hamburglar. It's going to be a perfect fit. Slide him right in to Neyland Stadium. Hamburglar can turn the page, flip.
flip the burger, if you will, for the Tennessee Volunteers. So I'd like you to try and remain on So you didn't, want to go with, you didn't want to go with Ronald McDonald. You wanted to go with the hamburger himself. Okay. Yes. Number five, if you haven't seen it yet, I suggest you search Coach Lance, Tennessee head football coach. It's Lance Decker. Made the announcement yesterday. I think it's worth a look. But Coach Lance, he sold me from middle school to Division One and a $10,000 pay raise. I think it's worth it. Save the money. Four years of excellence. Go. You have like a Lance handle that someone could find. Yeah, it's at John Mancuso. He's actually an ETSU uh, graduate. Um, there is a connection, ETSU graduate. Lives in Johnson City. And caught some flack because some people were um, ignorant enough to think that was actually true. True, and and uh, were kind of bought hook, line, and sinker before they realized that this was just a parody, having fun account. But it's well worth. Uh, it's about um, a minute. Actually, I think it's almost two minute long. But uh, it has a John Mancuso. But I, if you search Coach Lance Decker Tennessee football, it will pop up. And uh, it, it it got a lot of a lot of hits yesterday. So. Uh, my, fi- my final one, uh, no one energizes Tennessee fans. No one polarizes Tennessee fans, and this is what this program needs right now. It needs energy, right? It needs passion. It needs someone that can get the fan base fired up and bring them back in. Dan Wolk, USA Today. <laughs> Number five. Expect a call, Dan. Uh, all right. If you're listening to the podcast and you've made it this far. I hope you're not a Tennessee fan if you are. We, well, even if you are. We, we want to hear your top five. Who is your top five? You uh, go ahead and subtweet us there and give us the uh, top five Tennessee football candidates. I don't think we're ever going to be getting a job at Tennessee. I don't want, <laughs> I, and I don't want the lazy Greg Schiano. I don't want laziness. Give me something. You have to chuckle about the situation. If you can't chuckle, you're going to be banging your head. I choose to chuck Jake Staples. All right, we'll step aside for a time. Oh, no, we don't have to step aside. Oh, yeah, we don't have to, right? That's right. We just hit the button and go. Hit the button and go. Here we go. Tom Brady won't make that mistake again. Antonio Brown to Tampa. Absolutely not going to happen. See, we have been fired for these takes. Clay Thompson, comeback player of the year. So I feel like we won't be fired. Calling it right now. I don't think. The season Jim Harbaugh is taking Michigan to the national championship. Crunches so far. Okay, Getting so 12 months, 800. Yeah, that's good. You're yeah, nice. Look at that. Look at that. All predictions. I've got three right. You've got three right. Women's basketball going to win by double digits in both games against UNCG. This year, their only Division One win coming by six against Longwood. Beat Division Two Newberry by 14. So, on average, they're winning the games that they have won by 10. But in Division Two, only won by 14. I'd say a Southern Conference opponent to win by double digits. That is bold because you have not had a Division One win by more six points this year. UNCG falling by double digits both games to Brittany Azell and company in Brookston. I'm going both games. ETSU will have three or more in both games. Double figures. Ooh, both games. In both games. Like 
so on both games they will have three players double figures or more. Last year the Bucks were nine and six when they had three players more in double figures. Kind of strange this year they are below 500. Again the double overtime game Wofford last week kind of skewed that. Um, if both games are in regulation and you get three double figure scores, that's money. That's two W's. Men's basketball is going to have two players, 20 points or more. I think they're coming out with a big offensive day tomorrow. They have had big offensive days at home uh, during conference play, 92 against VMI, 86 against Western Carolina. Ladarius is going to blow up, and then there will be a second player that has 20 or more. DeMar Monsanto might have 20 or more rebounds, the way he's rebounding the ball right now. Uh, David Sloan dropped 18 in 18 minutes against VMI. Somebody's getting to that 20-point mark. Dose, 20-point scorers for the blue and gold. ETSU is minus 10 on second-chance points. The first go-around, they will be plus 10 or more over Furman in the second-chance category in this matchup. It'll be a 20-point second-chance. Big 20-point score. I like that. Uh, I'm going NFL. Oh, you didn't get the same one I did, did you? One last go-around for touchdown job. Beating Aaron Rodgers in the NFC Championship on the way to yet another Super Bowl. My guy, Tom Brady, never your guy. You never liked him. You're completely against him in New England. You love Bill Belichick. Hey, Tom Brady. I love Tom Brady. I'm a Tom Brady loyalist. 14th Conference Championship game, and he will be the winner over Aaron Rodgers. As he continues to check off the list, the other legends that are in the league, he's going to emerge at the top of that list. Beat Breeze, retired him. Going to beat Rodgers, go on to the Super Bowl, and set up a face-off with Patrick Mahomes. I am so excited. And it would be the uh, first time, right, you would – the team in the Super Bowl would play in their home stadium because it is in Tampa. They Correct. Would do that. You got it half right that Tom is going to throw a last-second touchdown pass, but you've got the other quarterback wrong on the road, 350 yards, passing Josh Allen, and Stephon Diggs will have over 100. They will connect. They will beat the Kansas City wow. Chiefs on the road. Are you, so are you going – the 350, 100, and win, or are you just going win? Win. Okay, just the win on the road. Now, are you banking on Patrick Mahomes not playing? Mm-mm. No, Even if he plays. Mahomes play. Okay. I, because if I'll, he I'll say play, that, that's I, not bold. I'll, I'll say this. How about this? I will go, because I, I am one pick behind. Sure. I, I will go win as a pick. The 350 and the 100 will combine for another one. Okay. If Mahomes doesn't play, all these are win. Except for now, 350 and 100 I'll give you, but I won't give you the win. Okay. Okay. Fair enough? All right. Ball predictions. Three each. Coach we're gonna, Lance, we're gonna check it out. Roll. We're going to start to hit our roll here and really start to amass the W's. I'm feeling it. So you would have Bills and Bucks. Yep. Wow. Because basically it would be an AFC East game again, which was the dominant league in all of the NFL for many years. Is that, that, that didn't sound right to <laughs> you? There's a... Couple facts missing there. Yeah, uh, creative truth telling by Jason. Yeah, we'll be back. There's no Monday game, so we should be back around Monday. We'll recap uh, the games, the two women's games, the firm and big game, and men's basketball. And we'll talk about Bucks and Bills. Super Bowl. Find my McDonald's bag. Hopefully, there's one sitting on my desk. Go back to my office. Jason does. Would love to know who's going to be the next thing to see at the ball. Dan Wolken. Send us messages. Santa sidekick. Cowboy up, go play ball.